Is there something wrong? Warning. Life support failure on all decks. Abandon ship. Maybe it is time to take command. Bridge to Captain. Join Jan Shaw updating current events as only Jan can. Library computer. Data being received. Produced by CosmicReality.com Hello and welcome to this week's Cosmic Creating Show. My name is Jan Shaw. I'm known as the Success Alchemist. You can find me at the thesuccessalchemist.net. You can also find me on social media, Facebook and YouTube, Jan Shaw, the Success Alchemist. Twitter at Coach Jan Shaw. Truth Social, Success Alchemist, and Telegram, US UK Patriot. Today is the 11th of February, 2023, and the title of today's show is Brunson Lawsuit, State of the Union, House Committees, Hunter Biden Lawsuits, and Project Veritas versus James O'Keefe. So there's a lot to cover this week, as usual. Um, I'm going to start with some news about the Brunson lawsuit, and then I'll do a quick rundown of um, other things that have happened this week that I don't have time to cover in detail. Um, so let's start with this. And, and this is from one of another of SGNON CUNY's Patriots, video reports or audio reports actually this was number 38 back on the 2nd of february he has done another one since then and unfortunately i don't seem to be getting the notifications from rumble so i haven't actually watched his latest one which was actually from the 8th i believe and the title does reference some stories about or his opinions relating to the catastrophic Turkey earthquake. And I'll cover that briefly um, a little bit later. So um, the Brunson lawsuit and he was saying that the Brunson case is being reconsidered on, believe it or not, the 17th of February. And we all know the significance of the number 17, don't we? And I, I actually checked up on this and I, I looked on the Supreme Court website. And yes, indeed, it is being reconsidered on the 17th. So that's really good news. And, and it's not taken long for that to happen because, of course, it was dismissed. I think it was the 10th of January. So it's only taken a month. I was wondering whether that would be delayed apparently the brunson brothers were adding more to the to the the writ of certiorari to try and get this pushed through the to be heard by the supreme court so we'll have to wait and see um sgnon says it's part of a coordinated military operation he says we have control of the supreme court at the very top the country was put in safe mode through devolution and continuity of government and insulation of the lawful republic of the USA. Trump is communicating that the White Hats have control of the, Su the US Supreme Court, leading to exposure of foreign national security interests superseding 
and allowed to take control over our own national security. 45, a Trump, is indicating that US national security related to the Brunson case will be one of the main drivers for seeing real justice. So that's obviously really good news, that take, let's hope this is the truth. He does say something else interesting, not to do with the Brunson case. He said that Trump made a statement, I think this is on Truth Social, Columbia Journalism Review just issued a report into Russiagate. This was after an 18-month investigation. And it's a staggering detailed report of the lies, disinformation and complete lack of journalistic integrity exhibited by the purveyors of the fake news at Washington Post, New York Times and many others. And then towards the end again, he reiterates, we are living the most incredible, complex, irregular war that has ever been fought in the history of the world. And we are winning. We are all living in the most incredible time to be alive. We are moving towards Nuremberg 2.0. So as usual, very uplifting. (laughs) You know, he does cover these things extremely well. And um, I'll definitely report on his later or his latest report um, next week. So before I go on into the detail of the House committees, I'm just do a quick rundown of, of all the things that have, or many things that have happened this week, I should say, um, including what I was saying about the Turkey earthquake. Now, um, just a quick mention of the State of the Union. Um, <laughs> it was lauded as probably the worst State of the Union address ever. And people were just calling out all the lies that Biden was spewing out. And he he got into his Hitler version, you know, of yelling at the at, at Congress, uh, which people were saying is definitely a sign of dementia. Um, and Marjorie Taylor Greene, when he was talking about or accusing the Republicans of wanting to sunset Medicare and Social Security, she just leapt out of her seat and yelled that he was a liar. I mean, the whole place is in uproar about that on the Republican side because they keep pushing these lies. And the only element is that, um, and I've forgotten the name of the, the House representative that raised this, but it's to review the the funding and the budget every five years to make sure that you've still got the budget to continue, you know, the Social Security and the Medicare, Medicaid payments. So the whole thing was just twisted out of all proportion. And the other thing that people were saying, and we've seen tweets to this effect since then, is that he's putting out all these statements that are basically America first, which are plagiarized yet again from everything that Trump has um, either put in place and had reversed by Biden when he first was installed in the White House or, you know, just putting out the same old um MAGA lines of, you know, America supply chain. We've got to, you know, keep the supply chain starting in America was the latest tweet today. So um, he's really got no um, credibility whatsoever. 
So I'm going to quickly run down this article by EMC Squared Newsletter. And it's really just a series of links in many cases, but it will just give me a chance to run through some of this week's headlines. Uh, U.S. Congressman woman Nancy Mace discloses her COVID vaccine injuries and blasts Twitter execs. Buffalo Bill's owner suffers brain injury after cardiac arrest, daughter reveals. And this is interesting, following on from the um, Damar Hamlin cardiac arrest. And there were some very weird things about this and people were speculating on, you know, was it real? It's kind of died out of the news now, and at least uh, I should say out of the alternative news Um so I don't know if it will resurface, surface, but people were questioning whether his appearance at one of the following games was actually him or whether it was a body double and, you know, whether he had actually died, but they wanted to cover it up. Could be another conspiracy theory, of course, um, but who knows? Very odd. And of course, you know, the the players and I would assume the... Um, the owner all took the vaccine. That's why there's the speculation that this was a vaccine injury because, you know, we're having an epidemic of people dying suddenly from cardiac arrest. If I have time, I'll cover something about this vaccine narrative that is continuing to fall apart. So continuing on, um, are Fauci, Gates and Moderna responsible for the COVID pandemic? The US Department of Defense issued a COVID-19 research contract three months before COVID was known to exist. And Fauci and Moderna had a vaccine ready in December 2019. This is more conspiracy than fact, but the timing of these four things in succession is rather interesting. Turkey rejects NATO. A Navy ship is offshore a strange cloud formation over Turkey, a massive earthquake. And it's included some screenshots of social media posts. Uh, one says, strange light in sky before earthquake. And another says, um, it, it's a response to a tweet by Jane Bond. Last week, Turkey cloud. Turkey was attacked with harp. And the white rabbit responds, I agree, Turkey's earthquake was terrorism. And it shows a video of Turkey rejecting NATO expansion. And of course, this is this is just before Turkey gets a massive earthquake. And I'm going to just read this because it's... Um, I have to read the subtitles. I say to the American ambassador from here, I know which journalist you wrote to, get your dirty hands off Turkey. I'm telling you very clearly, get your dirty hands off Turkey. I know clearly what you have done, what steps you have taken and how you want to confuse Turkey. Get your dirty hands, those grinning masked faces away from Turkey. This is clear here. The article goes on to show another tweet, I think, from Hep 
Muhalif. All this happened after this video. First, the US Navy ship anchored in the Bosphorus, unfurled a flag against evolution, and the next day these things happened. Of course, the Turks will survive this day, but the price will be very heavy for the USA. And there are thousands of deaths that have happened as, as a result of this devastating earthquake. I mean, the damage to all the buildings is just unbelievable. And it doesn't just affect Turkey. It's also affected Syria as well. So this goes on with um, a video. I'm not going to play it. It's titled Nikola Tesla Caused an Earthquake in New York City. And there's an image showing Tesla and a newspaper headed Tesla Causes Earthquake. And I believe he did um, cause an earthquake when he was developing his free energy. He produced this coil. I, don't, I can't remember all the details, but he actually apparently destroyed this because it could obviously be used for nefarious purposes. But then also um, other people had access to his notes and paperwork after he died. So who knows whether this uh, device was recreated. Then there's a screenshot of Ian Miles Chong's tweet that says Turkish Twitter seems to think the Americans used harp to cause the earthquake. And then Anthony of Westgate, Turks are reporting that America used harp weather modification against them. Lightning strikes don't normally happen with earthquakes, but it occurs all the time with harp ops. And another one, the image of the earthquake moment in Karamanmaras, Turkey. Look at the lights in the air. So definitely suspicion that this was an artificially created earthquake. And boy, are we getting crimes against humanity if that's the case. Absolutely despicable. Evil is actually the only word for it. And so it goes on. Doomsday clock advances to 90 seconds to midnight, the closest to apocalypse it's ever been. Chinese balloon called dry run for EMP attack. How America took out the Nord Stream pipeline. Treason, Representative Walt says Department of Defense told him China spy balloons crossed U.S. during Trump years, but General Mattis did not tell Trump, thought he was too aggressive. A tweet from ALX, breaking. The top general from NORAD admits the U.S. military did not detect the earlier Chinese spy flights during the Trump admin. And John Kirby says, I can tell you that we discovered these flights after we came into office. What's going on? US military now says there were six China spy balloons spotted during Trump years, but no one was notified. Wow, James O'Keefe is on paid leave from Project Veritas. I'm covering that later. At least one billion dead or disabled from COVID-19 bioweapon, Dr. Betsy Eads, USA watchdog. Um, and there's a video about that as well linked to Dr. Naomi Wolf details the chamber of horrors the jab poses to women's reproductive health. Ocular surface erosion after suspected exposure to evaporated COVID-19 vaccine. That was after a vial was dropped and it broke. Government refuses to investigate what's behind the thousands of excess deaths. Heart failure, pericarditis, aortic dissection, then death seen two weeks after Pfizer booster. 
How the Unvaccinated Got It Right, Brownstone Institute. Mind-blowing reality of death after injection. So that's given you a quick roundup of what's been going on this week. There is a lot more, but I want to move on to the House committees that are now in progress. Um, This is a report from Greg Jarrett. How the FBI colluded with Twitter to help elect Biden take centre stage on Capitol Hill. The FBI's sustained censorship campaign primed Twitter to eliminate the Hunter Biden laptop story. Former top Twitter executives who censored the Hunter Biden laptop story in advance of the 2020 presidential election admitted on Wednesday that it was wrong to do so. That was their testimony during a contentious hearing conducted by the House Oversight Committee. The story published by the New York Post was accurate and the laptop's incriminating contents were real. Its suppression by social media companies, including Twitter, may have helped Joe Biden get elected. Well, we know he was selected, not elected. Reams of evidence presented at the hearing revealed how the FBI worked in concert with Twitter to kill the story. The committee subpoenaed James Baker as a key witness. He once served as general counsel for James Comey's FBI, but then joined Twitter several months before the election. Baker, you'll recall, was instrumental in pushing the Russian collusion hoax in a lawless effort to drive Donald Trump from office. But during the hearing, Baker falsely portrayed himself as the voice of reason, who urged caution in censoring the story. Internal emails and other documents disclosed as part of the Twitter files show the opposite is true. He dismissed the laptop as hacked and the contents as fake while arguing in favour of killing the story. Unlike Baker, the company's head of trust and safety, Yoel Roth, was far more candid in his testimony. When asked if he believed that the laptop was Russian disinformation, he replied, I didn't then and I don't now. When the story emerged on October 14, 2020, Roth argued that it did not violate any of Twitter's policies and should not be censored. But he was overruled by executives above him. That's where Baker played an instrumental role. He was joined by Vijaya Gadi, the former general counsel of Twitter, who asserted that the Post article was based on hacked materials, even though Roth emphatically advised that there was no evidence of hacking and Hunter's damning emails appeared authentic. Gadi's pretense of a hack was invented out of thin air to discredit a legitimate story that would clearly damage Biden's campaign. During the hearing, Baker presented a masterclass in deflection and deception. When he wasn't refusing to answer questions by invoking a dubious version of the attorney-client privilege, he gave a fine impression of a deaf, dumb and blind man. Here's a sample of his responses. I don't recall. I don't understand. I'm having trouble hearing you. I don't know. I have no answer to that. Someone should get the guy a hearing aid and a white cane. (laughs) Roth was already on record in a sworn declaration stating that the FBI was behind the social media censorship. Every day the Bureau was sending requests to terminate tweets, shadow ban conservatives and banish accounts they didn't like. In other words, the FBI was closely collaborating with Twitter to diminish the free speech rights of millions of people. 
ranking Democrat Jamie Raskin of Maryland dismissed all of it by claiming that since Twitter is a private company, it can do whatever it wants with no consequence. As a skilled lawyer, he knows that is completely untrue. Whenever the government uses a private company as a proxy to censor information, it violates the Constitution. The US Supreme Court has ruled consistently that a government actor cannot pressure or direct private citizens or entities to do what the First Amendment prohibits the government from doing, that is, to abridge free speech rights. The Twitter files and Ross' own declaration make it abundantly clear that the FBI colluded with the platform to suppress speech. Meetings and encrypted communications were constant and pervasive. There were at least nine former FBI agents who were working at Twitter. They had their own secret messaging system. The FBI sustained censorship campaign primed Twitter to eliminate the laptop story. By virtue of its clandestine spying, the agency knew that the laptop scandal would eventually drop some time before the election. The FBI had seized the laptop in December of 2019 and were alarmed by its incendiary contents of criminal wrongdoing. Agents also knew that a copy was being passed around. In frequent meetings with Roth and others, bureau agents warned there will be a hack and leak operation involving Hunter Biden. Twitter received its marching orders to kill it when published and prevent its spread. That is precisely what the platform did. Many in the mainstream media also willingly abided by refusing to report on the laptop. 51 former U.S. intelligence officials penned a letter falsely stating that it had all the earmarks of Russian disinformation. In reality, those intel officials were peddling disinformation to help Biden get elected. Representative Jim Jordan of Ohio, Republican of course, noted during the six-hour hearing that Twitter got played by the FBI. They certainly did, but deliberately so. Representative Pete Sessions, Republican Texas, remarked that Twitter got caught and Twitter got bought. He's right. Smoking gun documents show that the FBI shelled out $3.5 million in taxpayer money for the company to process its moderation requests. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, Republican California, deserves credit for fairness. Unlike the January 6th committee stacked with partisans that were handpicked by his predecessor, Nancy Pelosi, the new speaker gave Democrats free reign to seat colleagues of their own choosing on the Oversight Committee. Indeed, they were allowed to challenge the evidence and even call a witness of their own. That's the laughable part. Dems put forward a former Twitter executive who openly confessed that she had nothing whatsoever to do with the censorship decision involving the laptop. Instead, she inveighed against the events of January 6th. The distraction served up a head-banging disconnect. But that was the approach most Democrats took. They occupied their allotted time by resurrecting the violence on January 6th and railing against their great boogeyman Trump. To a person, they mocked the hearing as unimportant. Some Dems blindly claim there was no evidence despite a plethora of evidence presented. Raskin demanded more censorship, not less. Wow, Democrats used to be civil libertarians, no more. 
The award for cluelessness was earned predictably by Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Democrat New York, who launched into an incomprehensible rant with her hands and arms flailing like a windmill. Someone could have been injured. She called the laptop disinformation and a half-fake story. Really? Which half? Representative Melanie Stansbury, Democrat New Mexico, came in a close second by calling the FBI's obvious collusion with Twitter a conspiracy theory. Ah, yes. There is nothing silly, the word one Democrat used, about Congress investigating government corruption involving the president's family and maybe the president himself. Committee Chair James Comer, Republican Kentucky, pointed this out when he explained that the laptop harbors evidence that Joe Biden's son reaped millions of dollars from America's adversaries. Emails, witness statements and other records suggest that the father was complicit in the Biden family influence peddling. Coma concluded national security may be compromised. Whether America's security is in jeopardy is certainly worth investigating. And I believe one of the Republican representatives actually warned these uh, witnesses from Twitter that, or ex you know, Twitter employees, that they could uh, face arrest. So we'll have to see how that one plays out. And then we have another hearing going on. Um, This is again from Greg Jarrett. The brief House probe vows to unravel Biden family corruption as hearings begin. Leave it to the Bidens to make history as multiple members of the presidential family are under the criminal microscope. A special counsel is investigating Joe Biden's mishandling of classified documents scattered in his private office, garage, home and who knows where else. His son Hunter is the subject of an ongoing criminal probe by the U.S. attorney in Delaware examining tax fraud, money laundering and other potential crimes arising from his overseas business dealings that smack of brazen influence peddling. The laptop that Hunter now concedes is his, after denying it for more than two years, contains a trove of damning evidence that appears to implicate his father. The feds are reportedly also investigating the president's younger brother, James Biden, over shady money-making ventures, some of which are connected to his nephew, Hunter. Still other members of the president's family, including his brother Frank, are being scrutinised over brash efforts to monetise their relationship to the president and profit from his position of power. Factor in the House Oversight Committee's inquiry and you've got a veritable smorgasbord of investigations into wrongdoing. An interim staff report issued two months ago by that panel refers to the Biden family's layers of corruption and self-dealing. The complexity of those layers is compounded by the family's audacious attempts to obscure their activities. Joe's Department of Justice and FBI have served as writing accessories to the cover-ups, orchestrating a concerted campaign to bury, censor and suppress. On Wednesday, the committee will commence a series of hearings that could, in the end, produce a torrent of incriminating evidence. This is not about Hunter Biden. This is about Joe Biden, said Representative James Comer, the chairman. 
but much will depend on whether witnesses decide to tell the truth or endeavour to remain silent or simply lie through their teeth. I'm betting on the latter. Simultaneously, and not by accident, Hunter's newly constituted team of pricey hotshot lawyers have launched a shameless counter-offensive. Their aim is to weaponize intimidation to silence critics. It's bad enough that Joe Biden and Merrick Garland concealed from the American people and Congress for more than two months the discovery of classified documents in his private office at the University of Pennsylvania. But now we learn that they covered up the FBI search of his office in November also for two months. You've already been caught with the goods, so why not be honest about it? Laughably, the president continues to insist he's been transparent. The opposite is true. He hides the facts and refuses to be fully forthcoming. For old Joe, old habits are hard to break. It's the same strategy Biden adopted when evidence first emerged of his son's prodigious influence peddling schemes. Deflect, dissemble and deny. Tell the public you know nothing about it, even though documents show you were knowledgeable and seemingly complicit. Tell everyone that Hunter's laptop is Russian disinformation, even though you know it's the real deal. Washington has long been crippled by herd mentality. In a city where everyone lies, why should the president embrace a higher standard? That would require leadership and a moral compass. Biden is devoid of both. Is it merely a coincidence that the classified documents squirreled away in his private office at UPenn reportedly involved Ukraine? Let's consider that. We know that Hunter had access to the office since he's enjoyed carte blanche entry to everything his father does. Emails on the son's notorious laptop show that he provided a sophisticated 22-point memo to his Ukrainian contacts that looked suspiciously like it came directly from classified material, says Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin, who has been investigating Hunter's foreign business dealings. Three days after Hunter sent Ukraine the information, his business partner Devon Archer met with the elder Biden at the White House, noted Johnson. Then Joe jetted off to Ukraine. Immediately after that sojourn, a ridiculous amount of money started flowing into Hunter's bank account, $83,000 each month. That's close to a million bucks per year. Not a bad cash haul for a guy who has no marketable skills and no experience in Ukraine or the energy sector. None of this can be mere happenstance. I rarely abide coincidences. The aforementioned bears the unmistakable stench of corruption, the selling of information, access and promises of influence. Where did Hunter get all the purported intel he was handing out like candies on Halloween? He has no security clearance for classified records. It is shocking that the FBI hasn't searched Hunter's home to scrutinise his files or seize his computer equipment and devices. The laptop alone, which the FBI has had in its possession since December of 2019, offers plenty of probable cause for an all-encompassing search warrant. Yet the DOJ and FBI have taken a hands-off approach to the president's nefarious son. Why? The answer is obvious. The fix is in to protect both Bidens. Hunter's money-making schemes also included Russia. Laptop documents show he offered to sell intelligence on Russian oligarchs, Oleg Deripaska, among others, 
to American aluminum company Alcoa for $55,000, according to a report by the New York Post. Did some of that intel come from classified records that Hunter accessed at his father's home, garage or office? Emails, photos and visitor logs show that Joe was meeting frequently with his son's partners. This belies the father's claim that he knew nothing about it. Hunter netted tens of millions from his illicit schemes in Russia, China, Ukraine and other countries overseas where his dad exerted influence. The son currently pays $20,000 a month for a nearly 7,000 square foot mansion in ritzy Malibu. Where in the world did that kind of cash come from? And did Joe benefit financially as well? Did he sell out America and jeopardise national security? These are legitimate questions that demand answers. A lot of payola appears to have come from China. Hunter got an interest-free and forgivable $5 million loan. Banking records show that even more cash was funneled into accounts he controlled. What was he delivering to the Chinese in exchange for the truckloads of money? We know that Hunter Biden is capable of uncommon sleaze. Newly revealed text messages reported by the Post show he paid his female assistant thousands of dollars off the books for sex chats and naked FaceTime encounters. His dalliances are mem- memorialised on his laptop. How's that for twisted or just plain stupid? The woman was one of at least four who hooked up with him while on his payroll. J.P. Morgan Chase flagged the money transfers in one of the 150 suspicious activity reports, SARS, that, quote, also highlighted payments made by Hunter to people with ties to human trafficking or the adult entertainment industry, end quote. You'll find that tidbit in the Oversight Committee report. So far, Joe's Treasury Department refuses to hand over the SARS to Congress. There's a surprise. The Biden family protection racket appears to extend well beyond the FBI and DOJ into other federal departments. The Oversight Committee is digging deep. It is aided by a raft of whistleblowers who have come forward with allegedly incriminating evidence that may shed a bright light on the Biden enterprises and the administration's efforts to cover it up. The FBI's instrumental role in suppressing the laptop story by manipulating big tech companies into censoring it is already well established by the so-called Twitter files. Meanwhile, the Biden machine is ramping up its scare tactics. Hunter's team of lawyers fired off letters demanding that his father's own Justice Department and Delaware Attorney General Kathy Jennings, a devoted Biden acolyte, launch a criminal investigation into John Paul Mac Isaac, the computer repairman who blew the whistle on Hunter's laptop. But here's the problem. It was never stolen, as Biden lawyers absurdly claim. It was clearly and demonstrably abandoned. Under both law and contract, custody transferred to Isaac. Others who disseminated the computer's contents are also targets of Hunter's vindictive machine. The accusations against them are unsupported by the facts and law. Nothing was illegally accessed and the circulation of the laptop data is protected under free speech principles. If anyone should be investigated for lawlessness, it is Hunter's lawyers who concocted false allegations to trigger state and federal probes. 
The ethics of these legal ploys stink like five-day-old fish. They are abusive and contemptible. Get your father's people to run interference under the guise of baseless threats of criminal action. Isaac did nothing wrong and the law is entirely on his side. But that's not the point. The Biden goal is to frighten critics into silence or try to send them to jail. As Kimberly Strassel of the Wall Street Journal put it, this comes down to Hunter asking employees and buddies of his dad to pursue a vendetta on his pampered behalf. Classic. And Greg Jarrett has another article on this subject. Um, Hunter Biden's lame legal threats are meant to intimidate his critics into silence. And this is um, related to what I've just read, but another thread related to it. Hunter Biden can pretend he's a victim, but the law emphatically says he is not. He's the villain. It is legally impossible to defame Hunter Biden. His reputation is so bad and toxic that he has no good name to damage. He managed to sully it all on his own. It cannot be tarnished or soiled further. As a result, the president's infamous son is essentially slander-proof. This fundamental fact of law renders his recent threats to sue Fox News and others for defamation utterly futile. His lawyers surely know this, which leaves only one other motive for their lame ultimatums, a concerted effort to intimidate their clients' critics into silence. It won't work. There is simply too much evidence of spectacular wrongdoing by the president's licentious son. Most of the allegations publicly levelled against Hunter appear to be substantially true. He's a con man extraordinaire and a crook. This belief is supported by emails, photographs, text messages, witness statements, banking transactions and other documentary evidence. His laptop alone contains a trove of damning information about illicit schemes to sell access and promises of influence involving his powerful father. Our country's adversaries were his treasured clients. Like the idiot he is, Hunter recorded hundreds of gigabytes of self-incrimination. It was an act of hubris and immolation. Freud would have a field day. It is well established that federal prosecutors have been investigating Biden and could charge him with tax crimes, money laundering, false statements and other assorted offences. Hard evidence suggests that his foreign business dealings with China, Russia and Ukraine netted him tens of millions of dollars and stoked legitimate suspicions of corrupt influence peddling, the likes of which no one has ever seen on such scale. Hunter's own biography is a sordid confessional of illegal drug abuse, prostitutes, strip clubs and infidelity. He demanded that his female employees FaceTime him in naked poses and perform sex acts to gain their paychecks. The ugly scandal has, that has consumed him is of his own making. Hunter has denied any lawlessness by boasting, I'm absolutely certain, 100% certain that at the end of the investigation I will be cleared of any wrongdoing. His confidence is fueled by the knowledge that his father's Department of Justice is overseeing the probe to nowhere. Daddy's Attorney General, the unprincipled Merrick Garland, refuses to recuse himself despite the glaring and disqualifying conflict of interest. How else does one explain an investigation that has now entered its fifth year without any criminal charges? The fix is in. 
Hunter's newly assembled lawyers, devoid of conscience and ethics, have adopted a strategic principle of war that the best defence is a good offence. But their twisted approach is deeply flawed. In a letter to primetime host Tucker Carlson, the attorneys cherry-picked a single alleged falsehood in their demand for a retraction under the threat of a defamation lawsuit. It's absurd. The cited falsity was Hunter's, not Carlson's. In a signed rental application in 2018, Biden listed his address printed on his driver's license as his father's house in Wilmington, Delaware. On the same form, Hunter identified the monthly rent as an eye-popping $49,910 for his, quote, current residence. Carlson asked the logical, if not obvious, question of where such exorbitant sums of money came from. Who is paying and how much are they paying him and why were they paying him, he wondered aloud. These are eminently reasonable questions. Biased fact-checkers contend that the rent was actually for an office suite in Georgetown on a quarterly, not monthly basis. OK, assuming this is accurate, can a member of the media be blamed for relying on the written application that Hunter erroneously executed? Hardly. This means Carlson owes no retraction because his commentary was not knowingly false as the law requires. Moreover, opinion is protected speech under the First Amendment. The Fox hosts popular nightly programme is clearly opinion-driven and everyone knows it. In the spirit of full disclosure, I have appeared a few times on Carlson's programme in years past. Far more frequently, I am a guest on Hannity during the hour that follows. Biden's lawyers have levelled similar defamation claims against Sean Hannity. These two are without merit. As a public figure, Hunter Biden would have to prove what is known as actual malice to prevail in any slander case. That is, the Speaker uttered a false statement purporting to be fact with knowledge that it was false or in reckless disregard of the truth. Accepting Hunter's application statements at face value does not give rise to liability. Hence, under no construction of the law were the statements remotely defamatory. The newly launched Hunter Offensive has already produced a boomerang. Joe Biden shamelessly dismissed the notorious laptop as Russian disinformation during the 2020 presidential debates. He knew it wasn't. His son promoted the same canard in several interviews, brazenly stating that it might not be his. Suddenly, his lawyers now admit that the device is indeed the genuine article and belongs to their client. This makes father and son look like inveterate liars for the last two years. Hunter's legally frivolous attack against Fox News is trivial compared to his lawyer's threats aimed at John Paul MacIsaac, the Delaware computer repairman who discovered its smoking gun contents. They accuse him of theft, invading the device without permission and illegally disseminating the information. Seriously? Any half-competent lawyer knows that these are ludicrous arguments meant to frighten and malign Isaac. Hunter waived any right to privacy by giving consent to access the files in order to retrieve all data that might have been lost in the water-damaged computer. He then abandoned the laptop for months and ignored requests to retrieve it. Under the law, 
Isaac was granted constructive custody and control, if not ownership, of the deserted laptop. This is consistent with the terms of policy that Hunter agreed to in writing. Alarmed by what he saw, Isaac then handed it over to the FBI when he determined that it contained potential evidence of crimes. Demanding that he be investigated by state and federal authorities for imaginary crimes is vindictive and contemptible. Hunter Biden can pretend he's a victim, but the law emphatically says he is not. He's the villain. His punitive legal manoeuvres are a disgraceful attempt to shift blame for his own wrongful actions. It is regrettable that his lawyers would partner in such noxious endeavours by turning a blind eye to the law. But it proves the old proverb, there are none so blind as those who will not see. So I want to move on now to the situation with James O'Keefe and Project Veritas. And it's very odd that this should have happened so quickly after he did the expose of Pfizer, which I covered in an earlier show. This is an article from Blaze Media. Project Veritas's James O'Keefe now on paid leave as company allegedly endures internal battle. Founder and chairman of Project Veritas, James O'Keefe, is now on paid leave with the organization's board considering removing him from a leadership role, according to a report by New York magazine claiming to have spoken to current and former employees. The report states that Project Veritas employees were sent an internal message by the organization's executive director, Daniel Strack, which stated that O'Keefe was taking, quote, a few weeks of well-deserved paid time off, end quote. The message was allegedly seen by the outlet and later confirmed by a current employee at Project Veritas. The alleged message said that the company was in a distracting time, mentioning that two Project Veritas executives had been reinstated who were allegedly fired by O'Keefe recently. Reporters contacted O'Keefe via his personal cell phone, but the investigative journalist declined to comment on calls or text messages. Strack later released a statement saying that, like all newsrooms at this stage, the Project Veritas Board of Directors and Management are constantly evaluating what the best path forward is for the organisation. There are 65 plus employees at Project Veritas dedicated to continuing the mission to expose corruption, dishonesty, waste, fraud and other misconduct in both public and private institutions, said Strack. To our supporters, we hear you, we care about you and we will never give up, he added. A different report claims that a third of the company's employees wrote an internal memo claiming that O'Keefe had been particularly mean to workers. Employees allegedly felt publicly humiliated by O'Keefe, suffering through what was described as public crucifixions. I would describe Project Veritas's current environment with this, saying the beatings will continue until morale improves, a staffer allegedly wrote in the memo. According to the report, the employees have many odd claims, ranging from polygraph tests to spitting and all the way to food stealing. 
These reports remain unverified. However, New York Magazine reports that a source inside the company claims that Project Veritas is divided between board members and employees. The board is allegedly dissatisfied with O'Keefe's management, while a group of employees remain loyal to the founder. Project Veritas has not yet replied to a request for comment. And Zero Hedge reports on the same topic fierce backlash as Project Veritas sidelines James O'Keefe after Pfizer bombshells. The board of directors of Project Veritas on Wednesday placed its founder and chairman, James O'Keefe, on paid leave as it reportedly moves to oust him from his leadership position. The organisation's executive director informed employees of the news via an internal message that said O'Keefe would be taking a few weeks of well-deserved PTO paid time off, according to New York Mag's Intelligencer. Widespread reports of a hostile takeover point to a more insidious long game at play, with the move coming after two bombshell undercover video reports from Project Veritas that showed a Pfizer research scientist discussing the company's gain-of-function work to maximise vaccine profits. And there's a tweet from Swig. Uh, says source the board held a six and a half hour struggle session versus James where they subjected him to constant derision and insults at the insistence of Termand O'Hara and Hinckley about 10 employees aired their grievances about James which essentially boiled down to him being a tough boss to work for at the end of this six-hour struggle session, Tiermand and fellow board member John Garvey put him on leave and stripped him of all authority. Swig continues, It was literally a Stalin-esque kangaroo court trial. The thing that is so very profound to me that no one seems to grasp, John Garvey and the rest of the board did nothing to stop it. Matt Tiermand had it all scripted, all six effing hours. This comes in the immediate aftermath of Project Veritas's greatest moment ever, exposing corruption at Pfizer, which my source thought was extremely suspicious timing. You boot the founder right after your biggest win of all time? Project Veritas must explain this situation. Project Veritas's board is slated to meet Friday when O'Keefe's potential ouster will be discussed, one source told the Intelligencer. The backlash from all fronts was fierce and furious when news broke about the brewing coup. Absolute madness if he is being forced out just weeks after Project Veritas celebrates one of their greatest ever journalistic investigations with which O'Keefe was intimately involved, wrote Human Events editor Ben Q. There is no Project Veritas without James O'Keefe, Candace Owens tweeted. I say this as a donor to the organisation, but more importantly as a colleague who watched him pour everything he had into Project Veritas over the years. The money and supporters will follow James. Project Veritas's board of directors tried to deflect the heat, shifting blame on corporate media for fanning flames and posting a response to the backlash. Despite what the corporate media tries to portray about our organisation, know this. We have never been more motivated and dedicated to our mission than now, the group tweeted. 
fans, supporters and colleagues of O'Keefe were less than impressed and continued to express their support for the investigative journalist. Tim Poole tweeted, Laughing out loud, James is Project Veritas. I don't give a F about a Project Veritas without James O'Keefe. And that was in response to another tweet from Swig. If James O'Keefe leaves, I will no longer support Project Veritas and will support whichever venture he starts instead. My source says that the rank and file employees are still with James. The board needs to realise PV will likely not survive if the go if they go through with this. And Cumberland Academy tweets, stand with James O'Keefe. And that's in response to Steve Bannon. I think this is a truth from Truth Social. O'Keefe is the fighting spirit of Veritas. What he does is as much of an art as a science. O'Keefe is an artist with an artist's sensibility and an artist's soul, a true warrior poet. And Ryan Fournier tweets, you take James O'Keefe away from Project Veritas and there will be no Project Veritas. Real Vinnie James tweets, dear Project Veritas, if James O'Keefe, the founder and chairman of Project Veritas, is forced out because you corporate types have no stomach for real journalism or because you have allegiances to Pfizer, we will follow James O'Keefe and you will become a hollow shell. And then I have another article from Zero Hedge about more backlash. Furious Project Veritas donors threaten board of directors over reported O'Keefe ouster. Major donors to Project Veritas have sent the board of directors a cease and desist demand letter over founder James O'Keefe's reported ouster. A letter from the Troutman Pepper Law Firm reads, Our firm represents a large group of significant donors to Project Veritas who have grave concerns about the Board of Directors' reported action to remove founder and CEO James O'Keefe from this leadership position, change the structure of Project Veritas entities and their boards, raising risks for the entity's charitable status, and operate Project Veritas for purposes other than those for which the organisation was established. The group is asking that the board immediately cease using Project Veritas funds, which were solicited using Mr O'Keefe and his reputation for purposes of carrying out the organisation's mission in any manner contrary to that mission. The letter requests that the board also preserve all evidence related to the matter. And again from SWIG, Exclusive, I have obtained a cease and desist demand letter sent to the Project Veritas Board of Directors by a law firm representing a large group of significant PV donors. Retweet. From my source, the bigwig donors to Project Veritas are not taking the board actions against James O'Keefe lying down. And then the article continues with the information from the previous article, so I won't read that again. So I'll have to see what happens with Mr. O'Keefe. I mean, as they say, Project Veritas is James O'Keefe. And he's done some brilliant exposés in, you know, the last few years. So let him continue. So I did mention earlier about this collapse of the state-approved COVID narrative. I just have a few minutes left. I'll just pick out a few key points from this. And this is from the Kyle Becker dot substack dot com. 
it will soon become widely accepted fact that the COVID pandemic response was a complete failure. The dam is breaking. It doesn't mean the walls are closing in, like Rachel Maddow used to say about her deep state conspiracy theories regarding Donald Trump. No, we're talking about the dam of lies that is starting to crack. It's starting to break and it can't hold the truth back any longer. All of the facts starting to trickle into us threaten to break the state narrative and come flooding into mainstream culture. It soon will become widely accepted fact that the COVID pandemic response was a complete failure. Excess mortality rates didn't go down in many nations around the world. This was not supposed to happen. These were supposed to be miracle shots, true vaccines. Alas, we were misled. A new piece in Newsweek is just a coming glimpse of the COVID true believers coming to grips with their stubborn, long-time denial of the facts. It gives the apologia of a medical student and researcher named Kevin Bass. Again, this was published in Newsweek, one of the corporate media vanguards of state-approved narratives. The headline, it's time for the scientific community to admit we were wrong about COVID and it costs lives. You don't say. I remember when it was sacrosanct to question the science as embodied by the high priest of COVID, the science himself, Dr. Anthony Fauci. You mean science isn't dispensed from on high like religious dogma from the prophets? It's almost like the entire history of Western thought from Copernicus to Einstein to Nikola Tesla to Niels Bohr and beyond could have told us this already. Geniuses. This is what Kevin Bass said, risking excommunication from the halls of Marxist-led academia. As a medical student and researcher, I staunchly supported the efforts of the public health authorities when it came to COVID-19. I believe that the authorities responded to the largest public health crisis of our lives with compassion, diligence and scientific expertise. I was with them when they called for lockdowns, vaccines and boosters. I was wrong. We in the scientific community were wrong and it cost lives. Well, that took courage. More courage than the likes of the Washington Post and New York Times can muster. He continues, I can see now that the scientific community from the CDC to the WHO to the FDA and their representatives repeatedly overstated the evidence and misled the public about its own views and policies, including on natural versus artificial immunity, school closures and disease transmission, aerosol spread, mask mandates and vaccine effectiveness and safety, especially among the young. All of these were scientific mistakes at the time, not in hindsight. Amazingly, some of these obfuscations continue to the present day. That is because the corporate media refuses to give counterfactuals to the state-approved narratives. If someone pointed out the flaws in the supposed science, their points were branded as misinformation because they did not reinforce the points that the corporate media, Big Tech and Big Pharma wanted. This was perceived as dangerous, but the root problem is they refused to give the whole truth. They believed in spreading, quote, noble lies so that people would not hesitate to get vaccinated. 
Never mind that it is a scientific fact that these mRNA shots could never prevent infection and transmission, as I reported over a year ago, for technical scientific reasons. There was one more salient point made by Bass. It has to do with the false paradigm that science can be dictated by a supposed consensus. We made science a team sport, and in so doing, we made it no longer science. It became us versus them, and they responded the only way anyone might expect them to, by resisting. This is correct. This paradigm of science by so-called consensus is dangerous. It is a collectivist approach to pseudoscience as dictated by elites and groupthink. Real science is about falsifying hypotheses and theory building. It is an inherently adversarial process that requires dissent. This can only be fostered in a free society. Yet the White House itself played a role in shutting down dissent, which was not only vital to the integrity of the actual scientific process, but to guiding public policy, which is inherently multifaceted, requires cost-benefit analysis and entails trade-offs. It was also blatantly unconstitutional, a brazen in-your-face F.U. to the First Amendment. This censorship campaign was also led by Pfizer itself in an effort to shut down esteemed scientists that questioned the well-established scientific phenomenon of natural immunity, which threatened to reduce the company's profits once previously infected people figured out that most don't have a need for their boosters, which lead to weak and waning immunity as compared to natural immunity. The article then goes on to reference the Pfizer expose by Project Veritas, which I've already mentioned. So that's all I have time for this week. I hope you've enjoyed the show and you'll join me for another Cosmic Creating show next Saturday. I'd like to thank Nancy for producing and Derek Condit for being the sponsor of Cosmic Reality Radio. Do visit his website at mysticalwares.com. So until next time, stay well, be safe. And bye for now. You have been listening to Cosmic Creating with Jan Shaw, updating current reality, a production of CosmicReality.com.